Hello everybody and welcome back to another brand new episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I am your host Simon and what happens here is we tackle a topic. We decode the unknown. It does what it says on the tin. Thank you Katie for writing today's script. I'm going to read it. I'm going to add some comments if I feel like it, which I can assure you I will because we're dealing with Did a book predict the sinking of the Titanic and other Titanic coincidences? Then afterwards, Jen, our wonderful producer slash video editor or uh, memeologist, perhaps, will add in some graphics and some audio and all of that wonderful stuff. If you are enjoying this show in its podcast form, please leave it a review. That would be much appreciated. Five stars preferred. Or if you feel like giving me one star and be like, stop blathering and get into the content. The introduction's much too long. One star. Go ahead. That's okay. It just hurts my soul. Aura, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, all of that jazz. And let's jump in. As far as I can tell, there are three interpretations of what it means when people say, I don't believe in coincidences. Anyone who says that, though, is dumb. Because obviously there are coincidences. Like, coincidences happen all the time. Not everything is a conspiracy theory. Coincidence, you know? Um... God, I mean, there are so. <laughs> I sound so dumb now, but I'm trying to think. Coincidence. I wanted breakfast cereal for breakfast. There was just the right amount of milk left. No one planned that. It just happened to be just the right amount of milk. It's a coincidence. That's a terrible example, but please, I hope you understand what I mean. I'm fairly sure what the majority means is that coincidences are not random happenstances of two things being in a certain place at the same time. They believe that these events have happened for a reason. Yeah, you got just the right amount of milk. There's a reason behind everything, except there's not. That there's something karmic, spiritual, or religious going on to have caused these people or events to come together. Although I suspect that that's only when the coincidences are a positive interaction, as nobody enjoys thinking about God or the universe conspiring to hasten your demise. I don't know. I feel like if I was thinking about either of these things, I'd think about them equally. Or I don't know, I don't really see myself as a pessimist. But I'd be like, yeah, if anything, you know, I'd probably be probably be conspiring against me rather than for me. I guess I am a pessimist anyway. This is more of a meet-cute situation of two fresh-faced young people who bump into each other somewhere and then, when it happens again, one of them will gaze at the other and proclaim that they don't believe in coincidences. Blah. Yes, blah indeed. Sticking with the TV tropes, there's also the slightly grimmer, hard-nosed police investigator example who, when faced with a similar crime or modus operandi, will say, I don't believe in coincidences to make us, the viewer, realize that it's the same person behind all the crimes, even though we probably already knew this. One of the greatest coincidences of my life. And I mean, thinking about it, it's not like that unbelievable of a coincidence. But I was on holiday in Thailand with my wife. We were on some like island down south, just chilling out at the beach. And we were exploring this like local market where there's this food and, you know, you can eat in the evening and all of this stuff. And I'm walking around and some guy comes up to me and it's like, whoa, hey, Simon. And I'm like, this guy looks a lot like my cousin, but he can't be my cousin. But then he knows me. And I'm like... Harry? <laughs> and he's like, yes. And neither of us had any idea that we just happened to be in Thailand at the same time. I've got quite a big family. And I just had no idea. No one knew. So that was pretty in, in, insane in my thoughts. But then it's like also this was a pretty popular tourist destination. Thailand's a pretty popular tourist country. So I guess it's not the most insane thing in the world. But it did blow my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. 
but it's just a coincidence. No one was conspiring to bring me and my cousin together on the island. We had dinner, and then we continued enjoying our holidays. And that was that. Then there's the people who say, I don't believe in coincidences, and mean exactly that. No matter how inexplicable or interesting the events are, they point-blank refuse to acknowledge any sort of link or similarity and just see them as events that happen to occur at the same time. If you're in this latter group, you aren't going to like this episode very much. (laughs) Am I in the latter group? I think I'm in the latter group. It's all just like... I mean, it's fun. I don't think I'm not going to like it. I'm vaguely familiar with this this story about the... um, I think the book's called The Titan, and then there's The Titanic. And it's like, coincidences are fascinating, because it's like, what are the odds? But it's, um, they're, they're just coincidences. <laughs> the Mystery. Let's see how much I like this. In the early hours of April the 15th, 1912, the Titanic, the largest and most luxurious passenger liner of its time, was on its way to the bottom of the Atlantic after having hit an iceberg just a couple of hours earlier. Over 2,200 passengers and crew were on board for a maiden voyage from Southampton to New York, and only 706 of these survived. We know that there were many things that could have been done to reduce the lives lost in the disaster. Yeah, famously, it was the lifeboats thing, right? They didn't have enough lifeboats for the number of people on board, (laughs) which seems like a bit of an error, doesn't it? The Titanic didn't have enough lifeboats on board, even though it was designed to hold enough to give everybody a seat. The crew were not very well trained on how to launch these boats, and there was no cohesive plan to evacuate the ship. The design of some of the interior compartments was also at fault. Supposedly watertight, the compartments weren't actually tall enough to stop water flowing over the top once the hull had been breached. (laughs) Brilliant design work there, guys. Top notch. This meant that once the water came flooding in, it caused the ship to tilt forward until the ship's propellers were lifted right out of the water, and with so much stress on the steel structure of the ship, it eventually broke in two, with both parts headed down to the bottom of the sea. As I understood it, they didn't know that the Titanic had broken in two until they discovered it on the ocean floor in like the 80s or 90s, right? Because they had all these pictures of the Titanic sinking, you know, paintings, sorry, paintings back in the day. And it was always in one piece, and then they discovered it had actually broken in two which is uh, fascinating and, and, and morbid. What made the whole event even more shocking was that the Titanic had been widely touted as unsinkable, with the definition of the adjective Titanic being of exceptional strength, size, or power. So you'll think you'd be nice and safe on such an enormous metal ship cruising through the freezing waters of the North Atlantic. After the accident, people were quick to throw fancy words like hubris around, blaming the Titanic's owners for tempting fate by calling it unsinkable. Ah, it's just marketing. I mean, in retrospect, it looks bad, but I'm sure it did sell some tickets. And then those people died. And it was probably a long time before anyone called a ship unsinkable again. In fact, I don't think they call ships unsinkable anymore because the uh, the PR would be real bad if it sank. And ships sink often. There was that Costa Concordia, the one that sank off Greece, I want to say. That was a bit of a disaster. Didn't the captain end up going to prison for ages? But was fate really involved in some way? Or was the sinking of the Titanic just a totally unfortunate accident that nobody could have predicted? Nobody, you say? Well, let's get into it. I feel like predicting, like calling something unsinkable, but then when you look a little bit deeper at the engineering, like the watertight things not really working, the design floor of it, the one part becoming heavier and lifting it up in the air, the fact that they had not really a preparation for the lifeboats. I mean, that doesn't stop it sinking, but the bigger, if everyone had escaped unharmed, it wouldn't be such a disaster. So, they, sh- you know, come on. The Wreck of the Titan. In 1898, American Morgan Robertson published a novella called Futility. No big deal there, I hear you say, and indeed it was no big deal, until it was republished in 1912 following the Titanic disaster, and people really started taking notice. 
Why? Because it seemed as though Robertson had actually predicted the sinking of the Titanic years before the ship was even a twinkle in the White Star Line's eye. Let's start with the title. It was originally published under the name Futility, but to draw attention to the similarities and therefore bump sales, it was republished in 1912 as The Wreck of the Titan. Okay, was the ship actually called Titan in the book, though? Okay. Oh, Simon, maybe you should read these ahead because the next sentence is, yes, the ship in Robinson's story was named the Titan. True to its name, the Titan was the largest ship of its day, and the first line of Robinson's story is, she was the largest craft afloat and the greatest of the works of men. Not far into the story, the Titan hits an iceberg while traveling in foggy conditions, and the description of the crash is eerily similar to that of the Titanic. Robinson wrote, and with her keel cutting the ice like the steel runner of an ice boat and her great weight resting on the starboard bilge she rose out of the sea higher and higher until the propellers in the stern were half exposed then meeting as easy spiral rise in the ice under her port bow she heeled overbalanced and crashed down on her side to starboard not only were the names and the manner of sinking very similar, the Titan in the story was also traveling in the North Atlantic and also in April, exactly where the Titanic was sailing. And that's not all. The sizes of the liners and passenger capacity were also pretty close. I mean, all of these things. The, 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 Simon, leave your skepticism. Just give it a second. We can tear it all apart later. Let's just enjoy suspending our disbelief for a while, shall we? The Titan was 800 feet, that's 244 meters long, while the real-life Titanic was 882 feet or 269 meters long. The Titan was carrying 2,500 passengers, although it had room for 3,000. The Titanic was officially carrying 2,229 passengers, although it had room for around 3,500. The Titan was sailing fast through foggy waters and hit an iceberg at a rate of 50 feet per second, according to Robertson. That translates to about 30 knots, although, to be honest, 50 feet per second or about 15 meters per second is a much more relatable way to picture it if you're not that familiar with nautical terms. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> anyway, the Titanic was also going way too fast at 22.5 knots, which is 38 feet or 11.5 meters per second. The Titanic was largely going full steam ahead at just half a knot under her top speed, which seems pretty risky looking back on it now. It's like, yeah, why are you going so fast? It's a leisurely cruise across the Atlantic. And also there's loads of icebergs. And I, most of what I know, most of what I know about the Titanic is from Titanic the movie. But they really plow into the iceberg. It's like, oh my god, there's an iceberg. Bang! Mm, mistake made. Slow down. Take it easy. It looked really nice on board the Titanic. Even if you were in the, the poor people accommodation. It didn't look that bad. It looked pretty nice. Like they were having a good time. The people in the rich people accommodation. It's like, that shit's way nicer than my house. <laughs> The lifeboat situation was also almost identical. As mentioned, the Titanic only carried 20 lifeboats, enough to seat 1,178 people. While this was far below what would be needed for a full ship, it was above the legal requirement for lifeboats at the time. This was in part because nobody thought the whole boat would sink and everybody would be in need of lifeboats all at once. Much less life-threatening scenarios were envisioned where they would be just used to ferry people from a damaged or broken ship down to another rescue boat under no immediate pressure of sinking. Yeah, that seems like a terrible idea. I know in retrospect, like now that we've had these maritime disasters and stuff, where it's like, oh yeah, we need to have enough lifeboats for everybody, and everybody needs to be able to get off the ship. But I guess back in the day, but there'd been disasters, there'd been maritime disasters before when whole ships had sunk. We really that confident in the engineering, guys? I mean, chill out. 
In The Wreck of the Titan, we find that the Titan was also woefully short on lifeboats. Here is main character John Rowland's description of the situation after the Titan hit the iceberg. Curse them with their watertight compartments and their logging of the lookouts. 24 boats for 3,000 people lashed down with tarred gripe lashings. 30 men to clear them away and not an axe on the boat deck or a sheath knife on a man. I mean, a similarity goes, that's pretty creepy. Also in the novella, survivor John Rowlands mentions that New York was 900 miles away. The wreck of the Titanic is 1,084 nautical miles from New York. That's a hell of a coincidence. Practically next to the Titan, if you consider the vastness of the Atlantic. Yeah, I mean, some of it... Look, whatever you're feeling about, like, fate and all of this stuff, this is a hell of a coincidences. So what on earth was going on here was Morgan Robertson psychically predicting the Titanic disaster. According to the highest authority we have on the matter, the man himself, the answer is no. If he did have any clairvoyant capabilities, he would have made an absolute killing on the spiritualist circuit, so I think it's safe to say that it was all just a coincidence. Hell of a coincidence, though. Absolutely wild. But then again, I mean, also, the ship being the same size, hitting an iceberg, going the same speed, not having enough lifeboats. I imagine these were all fairly common things. Like, there were lots of boats without enough lifeboats. There were they were all kind of traveling on a similar course this is where the icebergs were they were a similar size because the book is written around the same time as the boats being built Mm, you know you know robertson spent 20 years on the seas mainly as a merchant seaman so he had a deep knowledge of sailing shipbuilding and possible shortcomings of the industry he was also writing an adventure story and knew all about ice fields in the north atlantic so having a huge ship collide with an iceberg wasn't that far out of an idea while that whole part of his book is very similar to what ended up happening to the titanic the sinking of the titan is over and done with by page 30 of a 243 page book whoa holy shit! i thought this was a novella are novellas like 100 pages less than 100 pages 50 pages this is a this is a book there are also polar bears pirates and a doomed and drug addicted main character just trying to do a good deed you can read it free online if you're interested this actually sounds quite good i mean i'd read this the problem is it's going to be all like that 19th century language like even the the bits that i read i'm like am i reading this right i'm not exactly sure if this makes sense in modern day english because the like sentence constructions are weird because language changes all the time anyone if this was if someone listens to this in 100 years they'll be like what is this guy talking about why is he using all these weird words i don't know <laughs> why is he so unpc why is he calling boats it the similarity in names of the liners is also not that coincidental if you think about it you're talking about naming the biggest ships of the time so what kind of names are you going to come up with stuff like gigantamax colossotron ginormo mcgiant <laughs> Oh, it's a boating with boat face was a joke i want to say five years ago four five years ago about that uh boat that the british government made and then they were like hey public name our boat and there was a poll and boating mcboat face was the most popular option and i don't find it as funny as i did then but that was the that shit was the funniest thing i have i think it's one of the funniest things i've ever heard in my life i loved it ginormo mcgiant face <laughs> 
You get the idea. Titan and Titanic both point the ship to the ship's enormous sizes and strength, so really the naming pool was probably rather small. All in all, this was an event in an adventure story that was horribly close to a future real-life event. You could argue it was actually a prediction, as going too fast in bad conditions and the shortage of lifeboats should have clued people in about how to run a ship safely, but of course, no one takes any notice of these things until it's too late. The Mail Steamer Alright, moving on from a book that may have predicted the sinking of the Titanic to another book that may have predicted the sinking of the Titanic. This one is a slightly different one, though, as it was specifically written as a cautionary tale for lifeboat shortages on ships and even directly flagged up the issue at the end. Not that it helps, of course. It took a real-life disaster and a huge loss of life before shipping companies thought it might be a good idea to have enough room for everybody in case of an emergency. This story by journalist and editor W.T. Stead was originally published... He's a famous journalist. Uh, or publisher, right? Didn't he start a bunch of newspapers? I feel like I know his... Maybe I've made a video about him. I've got a channel called Biographics where I do biographies of famous people. I think I might have done one about him. And it's worrying that I remember very little about him. It's just like sometimes it's in the eyes and out the mouth, you know? I make a lot of videos. It was originally published in the Pall Mall Gazette in 1886 and catchily titled How the Mail Steamer Went Down in the Mid-Atlantic by a Survivor. In it, a character on board a packed ship suddenly has a thought about lifeboat safety and goes to check on the situation. His conclusions are as follows. At the finish, I calculated that by loading all the eight boats down to the water's edge and packing the children along the bottom boards, we might accommodate 390 people. We were carrying 916 altogether. In the story, the ship, which is again going fast in bad conditions, collides with another vessel and starts sinking almost straight away. There's pandemonium everywhere, with people fighting to get into the limited boats, the boats not being easy to release, guns being fired, and even the main character shoving a baby away that a mother is trying to give to him to take to safety. Holy sh- <laughs> This book sounds intense, Dead. It's every man for themselves, with the crew jumping to get into the boats before any passengers, lifeboats going off half full, and even being destroyed by people throwing themselves overboard into them. In the end, there's one boat left for the 700 people remaining on the steamer. They plunge into the water, with the main character managing to grab onto a lifeboat as it passes by. Oh my god, back in the day. I'll be like, let's just take an inflatable, let's just take, you know, just pack it in the luggage. We'll take an inflatable boat, just in case. Um, I mean, I guess they didn't have, like, did they have plastics and shit back in the day? That you could like they probably didn't did they so you couldn't or modern day lifeboats though are amazing they come in these like uh they're like these big plastic boxes and you just throw them in the ocean and they explode into lifeboats and like that's pretty sick i'm glad we have that nowadays they plunge into the water with the main character managing to grab onto a lifeboat as it passes by charitably this exchange occurs shall i hit his fingers said a man no let him come and then I was laid sick and dizzy on the bottom boards of a crowded boat. The story ends with an editor's note. This is exactly what might take place and what will take place if the liners are sent to sea short of boats. And yes, it turns out that Stead was exactly right. I mean, it's not exactly clairvoyance, though, is it? It's like there's a bunch of boats going out all the time. Boats sink and they don't have enough lifeboats. And at some point they're going to sink and there's not going to be enough lifeboats. It's, I mean, yeah, that's very very predictable i'm sure there's lots of predictable things that are gonna happen like there's a there's gonna be a plane crash there's gonna be a plane crash because um pilots are flying less because of covid so they're less practiced so there's gonna be plane crashes once people get back into flying everywhere and it's busy again probably it's not really clairvoyance it's just logic 
And that's not my idea. I read it in like some paper or something about pilots not being as much in practice because of COVID. In fact, I'm, I'm learning to fly. And my flight instructor on this little diddly plane is a proper like pilot for an airline. And he's just like, yeah, I don't fly as much anymore. But fortunately, I've got my instructor's license so I can teach people to fly so I can earn some money while I'm not flying giant planes around the world. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Tell me lots of things about flying planes. But it's coincidental link to the high. What, where, what we talked about? But it's coincidental link to the Titanic doesn't end there. W.T. Stead was also a pretty hardcore spiritualist and wrote another story called From the Old World to the New in 1892. In this story, a character has a dream or a vision of a ship sailing through the icebergs, hitting one and sinking. Only seven people are left as survivors on an iceberg as the rest go down with the ship. Another character confirms that he too received psychic message of a ship in the North Atlantic hitting an iceberg in the fog and sinking. A ship called the Majestic goes off to search for the survivors, receiving telepathic messages along the way, and finds them, but only one is still alive. Maritime accidents were quite a theme in his work, and Stead himself had visions of drowning and asking for help, only to be denied it by people in rescue boats. It seems like a very legitimate fear. Like, if you're going on boats all the time, it might. I'm absolutely not certain about this, but I feel like uh, Stead was an American who lived in the UK um and set up newspapers there or something so he's probably going back and forth on boats all the time and he's like oh there's not enough lifeboats are there this is something that could very much happen to me it's like you know i'll occasionally have like nightmares and stuff and it's like yeah plane crashes they'll make an appearance because it's like yeah i mean before covid i used to fly a lot and then it was like you know that's that's a fear i know it's extremely unlikely and all of that stuff but it's definitely gonna it's definitely on the mind because it's like extremely terrifying (laughs) I mean, as, as safe as you know air travel is and everything, you're like in a little metal tube, flying enormously fast, really high above the earth. And if something goes wrong, you're really f***ed. Happy, happy joy, joy. In 1912, he was asked to give a talk at New York's Carnegie Hall on the topic of world peace. You may have guessed where this is going, but on the 10th... I, I, I don't know where this is going. I assume it's got something to do with the Titanic. On the 10th of April, 1912, lifeboat shortage wary Stead set out for New York on none other than the Titanic. Oh, no. He was on the Titanic? I feel like he survives, though, because I don't remember him dying on the Titanic. While it's hard to confirm accounts of his last... Oh, no, he did die on the Titanic. My bad. Last moments on the ship, it's generally agreed that he was calm and collected and may have last been seen in the freezing water with multi-millionaire John Jacob Astor IV. Stead's body was never recovered, and while he seemed to predict his own death by drowning, he wasn't worried about this particular trip. One of his last published right... Dude, how can he not be worried about the particular trip? It's exactly the problem you've been talking about. Boats with not enough lifeboats. One of the la- his last published writings includes the line, I expect to leave by the Titanic on April the 10th, and I hope I shall be back in London in May. So yes, in a sad and ironic coincidence, the man who foretold and warned about the dangers of lifeboat shortages on boats died on the most famous boat in history due to its shortage of lifeboats. Oh man, like dying of the very thing you're terrified of. <laughs> I know it makes absolutely no logical sense whatsoever. It's just one of those stupid like human mind things, but it's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to die of the thing that I think about all the time. What are the chances of that? And then you're drowning in the Titanic or I'm dying in a plane crash. You'd be like, ah, why? There were things going on at the time that caused people to book passage on the Titanic, to cancel their bookings on the Titanic, and move over to another ship at practically the last minute. There was also an event that occurred before the Titanic had even hit open water that could be seen as foreshadowing of the disaster to come. One of the things going on was the first national coal strike in England that started in March of 1912. Oh yeah, these like ships run on coal. It's so old school. This meant that there was a huge shortage of coal for steamliners, so many couldn't sail when they were supposed to. As the Titanic was a big flashy new flagship of the White Star Line, 
couple of other ships had given their coal to her to be able to sail, and the passengers were also given the option to swap to the Titanic, which some did. We all know that the Titanic was sailing to New York on a maiden voyage, but did you know that there was something known as the New York Incident before she had even set out? I did not know that. Let's find out what it is. The SS City of New York, later known as the SS New York, was a popular passenger liner for crossing the Atlantic, but in April 1912, it was temporarily out of service due to the lack of coal. Some of the crew of the New York transferred over to the Titanic in time for the latter's grand outing. When it was time for the Titanic to leave the harbor, it sailed past sister liner Oceanic, which I believe also sank later, right? And the SS New York, due to the size of the Titanic, it created a huge amount of suction as it went past. So much so, in fact, that the New York's mooring ropes actually snapped and the ship drifted out into the path of the Titanic. A newspaper report of the incident called it an exciting start. Due to the Titanic being the largest ship of its time, the whole suction theory had been hypothetical and not really believed until people saw it that day with their own eyes. The article went on to say, Between the Titanic and the quay, a distance of two or three hundred yards, the New York was drifting stern-first towards the outgoing liner. What was said to have happened seemed a fantastic absurdity until I saw the frayed end of a steel wire hawser, about as thick as a man's wrist, lying on the quay. It snapped like the crack of a gun, the man told me who saw it break. Broken hem cables hung along the New York side. The crowd was breathless with excitement. People climbed into railway trucks to see what was going to happen. Unfortunately for the expected crowd, thanks to some quick thinking by Captain Smith, the Titanic's engines were shut down and reversed to create some distance, and a couple of tugboats helped move the New York back to the side, or whatever the naval term is, for the size of the harbor. In what we can say now is another link to the forthcoming disaster. One of the helpful tugs that day was called Neptune. There are photos online that you can see of the Titanic, the New York, and the Neptune. Which is quite eerie when you think that New York was the intended destination, but instead the Titanic ended up in Neptune's domain the reign of god of the sea and an auspicious start then for the doomed ship yeah i mean that is just that's not even that much of a coincidence and that is reading way too far into things like the one with the story it's like holy this is a pretty like pressy it's not it's not like uh psychic it's just being prescient this is just silly that's just silly though repeat survivors being caught up in one sip shrinking incident is pretty rare and probably not something people actively seek out, but what are the chances of surviving two sinkings? And then, how about three? Introducing Violet Constance Jessup. Good luck, amulet, or maybe curse bringer of the White Star Line. Jessup started off small with a bump in the RMS Olympic in 1911 where she was working as a stewardess. Oh, okay, didn't sink but it was involved in some oceanic incidents. The ship hit another HMS Hawk, which was designed to ram ships, and the, Oce- uh, and the Olympic hit it right on the ramming part. With two holes in the hull, it limped back to Southampton, but in order to repair it, the manufacturers had to use parts that were supposed to go in the Titanic, which was going to be ready the following year. The Olympic needed further repairs a few months later, again meaning that parts meant for the Titanic were used for the Olympic instead, delaying the Titanic's maiden voyage to the fateful week in April. All right, so the Olympic didn't actually sink, but it was still a maritime accident and would have certainly been quite scary. The captain of the Olympic at the time was Edward Smith, Oh, who went on to captain the Titanic when it was eventually ready to set sail. Jessup was once again a stewardess when the Titanic was finally ready to go. As the ship was going down, Jessup was used as a model passenger to calm people down and show non-English speakers what they needed to be doing. 
She watched as other people were given priority to get into the lifeboats, but she eventually managed to get a seat in lifeboat 16. As if getting off a sinking ship wasn't stressful enough, an officer tossed a baby at her that it found lying on the deck, and she had held onto it for eight hours until the lifeboat was rescued by the Carpathia. According to Jessup's memoirs, as soon as she reached the Carpathia, a woman grabbed the baby from her and ran off. She recounted, I was still clutching the baby against my hard cork lifebelt I was wearing when a woman leaped at me and grabbed the baby. She rushed off with it. It appeared that she put it down on the deck of the Titanic when she went off to fetch something, and when she came back, the baby had gone. I was too frozen and numb to think it strange that this woman had not stopped to say thank you. That was one lucky baby. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> holy shit. If someone, like, I've got a baby. It's like a month old at the time of recording. If someone saved my baby's life, I'd be like, oh my god, thank you. <laughs> Please, give me a phone number. I'm going to do something nice for you. Really nice. After surviving the Titanic with no injuries, Jessup joined the British Red Cross at the start of World War One. Hitting the seas once again, she boarded the Britannic, which was another White Star Line luxury liner, and had been converted into a hospital ship in 1915. On November 21, 1916, the Britannic hit a sea mine, which exploded and sank the ship in less than an hour. Although she easily made it into a lifeboat this time, horrifically, the small boats were getting sucked under the ship by the strength of the propellers. Oh my god, that is a nightmare fuel right there. You get into a lifeboat, you're like, why are we moving towards that? Oh my god, no! Jessup dived out of the lifeboat and managed to swim to safety. It wasn't until years later that a doctor said she'd probably have fractured her skull at some point in the escape. Even rocking a broken skull didn't slow her down, though. To the disbelief of her family and friends, she returned to work on the White Star Line in 1920. Oh my god, <laughs> I guess you really need a job, because that's... I mean, like, no, no, after almost getting into sucked into a propeller and breaking my skull hard pass, I'm going to do a different job. I'm, I'm going to do a different job. Uh, she returned to work in 1920 and continued a life at sea for the next 40 years or so. She died at the age of 83, getting sucked into a... Not really. Weirdly, she wasn't the only survivor of the Titanic and the Britannic. Boiler stoker Arthur John Priest also survived both disasters, and in fact was the survivor of an incredible five sinkings in total. <laughs> oh my god. If I was a boat company, I'd be like... I'd have his name on some sort of blacklist. <laughs> I'd be like, no! Get out! Sailor Archie Jewell was the third person to survive both but he was later killed in the sinking of the SS Donegal during World War One. The Titanian Still up for some more coincidences? Good, here's the last one. First we had the Titan, then the Titanic. Now it's the turn of the Titanian. This was a real ship carrying coal across the Atlantic in 1935. According to William Reeves, who was the lookout at the time, he was familiar with Morgan Robertson's Titan novella and also, obviously, the fate of the Titanic. All of a sudden, in the middle of the ocean, he got a creepy feeling and called out that there was an iceberg ahead, even though he couldn't actually see anything. The crew heeded his warning, and the Titanian stopped. As the air cleared, they found that they were indeed right in front of an iceberg and miraculously had managed not to hit it. Reeves also claimed that they were in the same spot the Titanic had sunk, which is what gave him the premonition, but sources disputed this afterwards. There is proof from the telegraphs that the Titanium was in an, in an ice field, got damaged, and requested an icebreak to come and rescue them, though, so I guess Reeves just got a bit carried away in the last bit of his storytelling. If you thought that was a bit weak, here's a little bit extra for you to perk you up. William Reeves was born on the 15th of April 1912, the exact date the Titanic sank. Cue the X-Files music. And actually, here's another little tidbit. Also in 1935, the Times newspaper reported another British passenger steamer that got into a collision in Hamburg, Germany. 
its name the titan maybe we should just retire that name from the list now it's obviously got major bad vibes of course it's easy to see things with hindsight and make connections that wouldn't mean anything if the accident hadn't happened but it's always interesting and sometimes quite amazing when you see some of these coincidences occur if you believe in coincidences of course whatever that means and i really hope you enjoyed this episode of the show this has been decoding the unknown i have been simon thank you to katie for writing it thank you for jen to jen for doing the editing work and all of that jazz uh if you uh enjoyed the show please do leave it a review it really does make a difference the more reviews we get the more people see this podcast because that's how uh, podcast charts work apparently i looked into it it was complicated and a bit boring but i understood that getting reviews is important and uh yeah or if you're on youtube hello please like button subscribe all of that good youtubery stuff and i'll see you next time thanks for watching seeking the truth never gets old Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.